Hey guys, hey everybody, good morning. Uh, it's nice to see you all again. I'm glad we could all come together as a church, that we could um, gather, take our time off our schedules, um, set a time aside to come together as brothers and sisters and lift up God's name on high with songs, with playing of instruments, with prayer, with adoration, with all of that stuff. So um, I'm glad that you're here. Um, now we get to hear a little bit from his word um, and um, learn a little bit more about God's character. We'll learn a little bit more about how he wants us to live, um, who he desires us to be, um, and who desires us to become. So uh, again, we'll repeat, we've been going through a set of lessons in the Bible that are there to teach us about God, that are there to teach us about us, and that are there to help us how we can live out our Christian life um, to the fullest. So we started with thinking. We were learning about concepts. We were learning about doctrines in the Bible. We were learning about what does the Bible say about who God is. We were learning about what does the Bible say about who we are. We were learning about what sin is, what is redemption, what is salvation, all of those things. Then we learned about who Jesus is and why we should accept him to be our savior and how because of him we can have forgiven lives um, and um, live redeemed lives. And then, hopefully, if we have accepted Jesus as our savior and we started to walk in obedience with him, we started to walk our Christian life, then we'll learn some things in the acting part, which were about what should we do then now that we're believers, now that we're followers of Jesus, how should we act, how we should walk, what are the things that we should be doing in our day-to-day lives. Uh, and then now we're finishing up, we're almost done. We have a couple of more lessons left, actually three or, yeah, three left after this. So, um, and then we're finishing up with the ideas of being. So after we have put a lot of those things in practice, after we have been obedient to do all the things that God has asked us to do, then in us, we will develop character traits of a new being, of a new human, um, a reborn human, a reborn Christian, as the Bible calls it. So today, we talk about another one of those being concepts. And this being and this concept is called kindness and goodness. So kindness and goodness are very self-explanatory. If I say be kind to one another, it's pretty easy. It doesn't matter if we are 5 or 10 or 15 or 18 or 20 or 30 or 40, 50, 60. At any age in life, if you say be kind to one another, we all understand what that means. We all understand kind of what it actually is. And we like it when people are kind to us. Um, it's much more enjoyable, right? Um, but... <clears throat> All of that, to remind you again, that's one, also one of the most important things that um, God teaches us to follow and live in our lives. So we have kindness and in goodness kind of together like that. So um, our topic today, our um, objective to kind of learn is uh, I choose to be kind and good in my relationship with others. I want you to look at one word over there in the first sentence, and that word is choose okay so Cheryl already knew what I was going to say um, 
And uh, why is that word there? Because obviously everything is for a reason. Why did somebody put that word there? Absolutely, yes, absolutely. So, uh, to be kind and to be good to one another is very much dependent on whether we choose to do it or not. So if you're not kind to another person, it's nobody's fault but yours. Because you chose not to be kind to that person. Not that person. You are not responsible for them. It is I choose. So we'll talk later about what Jesus says about the others, etc. It is I that I'm choosing to be good and kind, etc. So here's the verse that is kind of the main verse of the, of the topic today. It's in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses, verse 15. It says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Okay. So again, make sure that nobody pays wrong for wrong. Okay? If somebody does something wrong to you, that's that other person that you don't have control over. If you go back and do wrong to them, then we're creating a cycle of wrongs. And if everybody starts doing wrong to each other, and wrong to each other, and it perpetrates, I do wrong to her, she does to me, she does it to another, they do it to each other, and before you know it, what do we have? Okay, we have a chaos, we have war, we have fighting, we have strife, and all of that stuff, right? Um, absence of goodness, absence of kindness, absence of love. However, God is teaching us that don't be the one that continues that cycle of not goodness or not kindness. If somebody does it, you stop it. And you choose to do good. And when you do that, you are effectively breaking the link from bad behavior and you're stopping it from continuing onwards. And instead, you are counteracting it with God's kingdom's way, which is the way of kindness and of goodness. Does it make sense? Awesome. All right. So let's look at our outline here today, some of the things that we're going to talk about. <clears throat> All right, so first we're going to talk about God's goodness towards broken humanity. And in that, again, we'll point first and foremost to God because all of these topics that we have discussed so far, whether it's kindness and goodness, whether it's patience, whether it's faithfulness, whether it's joy, whether all of these things about being, all of them are example our goal, our idea of what these things are, the reason that we even know about them is God. So we're always looking in the Bible to see how does God show and exhibit kindness? How does God show goodness? And then we try to emulate the same thing. We look at how Jesus, God in flesh, who was walking among us, how he showed kindness and goodness to be an example for us so that we can pick that up Start following it and kind of leave it in our lives as well. So, so we'll talk about that. That's our starting point always. And then afterwards we'll talk about some really cool stories. The Bible is full of really good stories on kindness. Um, there's some really, really awesome ones. And, um, uh, and that is why I mean, Kevin always says that you really have to just commit to reading through the Bible and 
all the Old Testament, the New Testament, a lot of the old story, the stories in the Old Testament, a lot of the stories in the New Testament, um, seeing them connected, seeing them how they're interwoven with each other, seeing them, seeing them how they fit with the overall story of God's kingdom and God's story. And, uh, and they're just amazing. They're just really amazing stories. And, uh, uh, and they really help us to see things. It's almost like movies. Do you guys like watching movies? Yeah. Who doesn't like watching movies here? You don't like watching movies? I do. Oh, you do? See, I tricked you. I said, who doesn't like them? Yeah, give you the negative one. So I think almost everybody likes watching movies. And the reason we like watching movies, and for that matter, reading books. Who likes reading books? OK, so almost a lot of us, yes. That's really good. So um, the reason we like watching movies and we like reading books is because the good ones, especially, if it's a good movie or a good book, they will take a concept that we're supposed to learn about, and they will say, OK, we're going to learn about kindness today. But it's not going to give us a definition of what kindness is, as it is described in the dictionary. Kindness is an attitude that one person um, shows to another wherein they desire to do good things for that other person, etc. There's a definition. Nobody really cares for definitions. But if it's put in a story, if it's put in a really good book, if it's put in a really good movie that describes the relationship between some people and seeing how kindness weaved into their relationship and kind of how it affected them, we like that a lot, right? So that's why when reading in the Bible, the Bible has a lot of those stories where it'll share. You, you may not even know that it's teaching you about kindness, but you're reading in it, and then you're learning what it is to be kind. Not because it gave you 14 definitions of what kindness is, but because it showed you an example of how two people chose to be kind to each other. Because it shows you an example of how God chose to be kind to humanity, right? So that's kind of how we learn, and that's why it's really important. And we'll look at some of those stories. Uh, and then we'll conclude uh, with a lot of kind of reading from Scripture. I won't talk as much. I'll be mostly just reading from Scripture. Uh, words and encouragement from, uh, first, from the Lord Jesus about how he's teaching us about kindness and goodness. Uh, and then also how some of the apostles are going to repeat the things that he was teaching them, and then they are going to repeat it when they were teaching their other um, disciples and followers. Okay. So let's go on, and let's start with the first one, with God's goodness. Um, did we skip the, the video? That was supposed to be the video. Yeah, we should have, I think we should have played it first. Yeah, let's play it. Can you go to it, and then, uh, and then we'll go start with the things, because it kind of talks a little bit about um, the story. So let's look at it. Saul, the first king of Israel, became very jealous of his servant, David, who had become very popular in the kingdom. David's closest friend was Saul's son, Jonathan. Even though Jonathan was the rightful heir to his father's throne, God had made it clear that David would be the next king of Israel. Because of their deep friendship, Jonathan promised David that he would warn him if he ever found out that his father was intending to harm him. He asked in return that David show him and his family kindness in the future. Not long after, Saul schemed to kill David. Jonathan was able to warn David, and he escaped. Years later, after both Saul and Jonathan had died, David became king of Israel. But David had not forgotten about Jonathan's request. 
he asked his servants to find anyone still alive in Jonathan's family to whom he could show kindness. Sure enough, one of Jonathan's sons, named Mephibosheth, who suffered from disabilities in both of his legs, was still alive and living nearby. So David arranged to have Mephibosheth brought from where he lived to meet him in Jerusalem. When Mephibosheth came to David, he bowed down, paying him honor, telling David that he was at his service. Do not be afraid, David replied, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Then David gave Mephibosheth and his family land to live on and farm, and they ate at David's table as if they were the king's sons. So that's, we'll come back to it. That'll be actually one of our stories that we talk about. Um, but, uh, uh, but we'll start first with God's uh, goodness towards uh, uh, broken humanity. Why do we say broken humanity? Who has an idea? Who wants to tell me? Why is humanity broken? What's wrong with humanity? Who broke it? Sin. Okay, that's not right. Uh, why is there sin? Why did sin break humanity? How did that come about? I can't hear you. You have to speak a little louder so people can hear you. Yeah, Zadia, go ahead. Tell me. Oh, my question was, why is there brokenness? Why is there sin in humanity? How did it come about? Where did it come from? Adam and Eve. What did Adam and Eve do? Okay, they ate the apple. Were they supposed to eat the apple? Were they supposed to eat the apple? No. no. Okay. So they did something that they weren't supposed to. In other words, that big word, they were disobedient okay, to what God told them to do. They wanted to be in control instead of letting God be in control in their lives. So because of that, that big broken humanity. So how does God deal with this broken humanity? God's attitude towards humanity is one of love, as we'll see from the verse which in turn produces goodness and kindness. Okay, so keep that in mind. We mentioned it earlier when um, we talked about the songs, when uh, we were talking about praises and worshiping, and Kevin reminded us and said, remember that Jesus loves you. That is the core, that is the source where a lot of that goodness and kindness comes from. God loves humans. God loves us, humanity. Um, he loves the little ones, the in-between ones, and the big ones. He loves one that have white skin or whatever that color is of white people's skin and dark-skinned people and everything in between. He loves humans. If you're a human today, who over here is a human? Okay, that's cool. We have some non-humans. That's, that's cool. Um, but if you're a human today, God's love is on you. Uh, you may not have remembered today, or you may not understand it today. It doesn't, somebody tells you God loves me, you're like, I don't know what that means. I have no idea. But 
it is important to understand that God does love you. And because of God's love, he is good and kind to us, to humanity. And because of that, when you have love in your heart towards one another, guess what you will end up doing towards them? You will also be good and kind. Because if I love Mark, I don't want to be mean to him. If I love Mark, I, like every time I see him, I want to go and hug him and tell him all the cool things that are going on in my life. I want to hear about what's happening in his. Um, so I will show goodness. I will show kindness to him, right? And that ensures that our relationship grows and becomes better and stronger and all that stuff. So Psalms 107.1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. If you've ever read in Psalms, this is repeated many, many times. So many verses, many chapters in Psalms start with this. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. When your teachers repeat something to you at school, why do they repeat it? So you can understand it. Either repeating things that are not important, or they repeating things that are important. 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 So when in the Bible something is repeated over and over and over again, then that means that it's really, really important. But then it also means what? That we tend to forget it. That's right. So we tend to forget it. So we tend to forget that God is good. We tend to forget that God loves us. So, Christian today, be encouraged, be reminded that God does indeed love you and God is indeed good towards you. Um, so, let's look at some of those examples. Let's go to the next slide. All right. Uh, <clears throat> this one is missing some verses in the bottom. I'm sorry for that. We had a little problem with the software, but I'll just read it for you. Um, it doesn't really, um, it's not too bad. Um, but let's read it. God's goodness towards the wanderers, the hungry, and the thirsty. We'll look at several examples of different groups of people, and we'll see how God is good to each of them. So let's see why the wanderers, the hungry, and the thirsty. So let's look at Psalms 107, 4 through verse 9. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out, to the Lord in their trouble. Sorry, I'm going to read it from mine. And he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. And then in verse 8, it'll say something that'll be repeated over and over again. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds to mankind. Okay, so... <clears throat> Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty. Can some of us agree with this? Have we been lost? Have we wandered through desert lands at some times? Not really sure kind of what's happening, whether we'll reach the destination they were supposed to go. In the Bible, who wandered through desert wastelands? The Israelites, okay, right? <clears throat> exactly. Okay. So on the bottom, sorry that you can't see the little bubbles over there for the verse, uh, but uh, <clears throat> it says that, uh, anyways, I'll go, sorry. It's uh, 
my thing is not really looking really good here either. But um, on the bottom of the verses, what you can notice, and the reason I put those bubbles over there, is that there is a very string, strong connection between God's love and the fact that he does good things to us. So again, just like the verse said, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. Okay, so let's go to the next slide. I think with the other ones, we shouldn't really be missing too many things. So, um, so on the next one, we're continuing down and it gives us an example for people that are prisoners. And we'll think a little bit about, more about this here. Some set in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord. And again, the same, uh, the same verse. And they cried to the Lord and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and I can't even see it here. So I'm really sorry. But it ends again with those verses that we mentioned, which were, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds to mankind. Okay, we'll go, on, we'll, we'll go through this um, pretty fast, but here's something that I want you to kind of remember. Uh, so when God says, some sat in darkness, some were prisoners, does that mean that these people were actually arrested and they were in jail? Okay, there's a lot of shaking hands. Why do you guys say no? Could it mean that they were in prison? It could, right? So it definitely could mean that it refers to people that were in prison. They were actually in jail somewhere. They were enchained by chains, exactly. But it also, on the other hand, means what? Means that each of us tends to become a prisoner to our sin addictions, tendencies in our lives, when what happens? When we rebel against God's commands and despise the plans of the Most High. So, if we're rebelling against God's design for how things should be, we despise His plans and we go against Him, what ends up happening is we end up starting to allow sin to creep into our lives, and then sin does what? It enslaves us, it chains us, and it grabs us. And then that is when we are sitting in darkness, in utter darkness, where we feel like we're alone, when we feel like there's nobody to help, help us, when we feel like nobody loves us, except somebody does love us. And who's that? God, absolutely, right? And that is why it says, then they cried to the Lord, and he heard them in their distress and helped them. So if you are today a person that is a prisoner, if you are today a person that is enchained by something, if you are today a person that is enslaved, that is struggling with something, God is not far away from you. Um, he is close to the prisoners. He is close to the ones that are enslaved and enchained. So don't keep on running away from God and staying in the prison. Instead, turn towards God, just like in verse 13 it says, they cried out, to the Lord. So cry out to God in your honesty, in your openness, in your brokenness. And God, as the verse says, promises to be with you, to show you kindness, to give you deliverance, to give you freedom, etc. etc. Okay, so let's go to the next one. 
Okay, so all of these ended up being short. I'm really sorry about that, but um, uh, we'll figure it out for the next lessons. But uh, God's goodness towards the afflicted. So there's another group of people that are afflicted. Um, this can mean several different things. In the verses over here, it talks about people that are suffering some kind of a physical affliction, um, ailment or sickness or maybe some other things. And we'll mention the story of Mephibosheth and David that we saw the video from. Mephibosheth was lame in both of his feet, so he was also afflicted. Um, so let's read verses 17 to 22. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then, again the same thing, they cried to God and he heard, I'm going to read it from here, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds to mankind. So, can that happen? Uh, that we're in distress, that we're sick, that we're struggling, that there's problems. Some of those things are our own fault. Some of those things are just something that God has allowed to happen into our lives. We can remember the story of Job, which we referenced the last time, uh, how difficult of a time Job had. Uh, could we say that Job was afflicted in a similar way over here? Yes, okay. Uh, was it because of anything bad Job had done? Okay, so it wasn't necessarily, right? Job had not sinned against God, uh, but God allowed affliction to come into his life. So was God away from Job at that time? Was God unkind towards Job at that time? No. In other words, whatever situation in life you're in, and this passage over here that we're reading is just there to show you that whether you are afflicted, whether you're a prisoner, uh, whether you are lost and wandering, whether you are hungry and thirsty, whatever your situation in life is in, God's love and God's goodness is extended towards you. Sometimes, though, it is our choosing as the verses, some of these verses over here show. We are the ones that have chosen to stray away from God. We are the ones that have chosen to be obedient and rebellious. So, it doesn't matter what you have done. Whatever moment that you're in, however big trouble that you're in, stop, turn away from the wrong things that you're doing, turn away towards God again, and you will encounter yet again His love and His goodness and His mercy towards you. Okay, let's go to the next one. <clears throat> And then there's another one, God's goodness towards the ones in danger, verses 23 to 32. It says, some went out <clears throat> to the seasoned sheeps. They were merchants in the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord. They trembled, etc., etc." I'm going to speed up a little bit because we're missing the verses and have to kind of go a little bit faster. But uh, here, David, the psalmist, mentions people that are in trouble. Uh, he mentions sailors. At the time, people that were sailors were people that that was their job. They would go out in the sea to fish. They would go out into the sea to transport goods, as is actually done even today. Uh, so they're there because that's their job, to sail, to transport people, to transport goods. And they're struggling. They're in the midst of the sea, and there's a storm. It could also mean that for some of you who are working, that you are in the middle of a storm in your life. Um, you're in that sea, and... You're trying to do and work and do the things that you're supposed to be doing, but it's a storm, it's a tempest, right? 
Well, even to those people, God's goodness and God's love is extended on. So, and let's finish it up over here with a little summary. Go on to the next slide. <clears throat> and then one more. <clears throat> All right, so here they are again. At the end, it concludes, and here is what David says, and, and here's the important thing to remember of all of these examples. And again, I'm sorry that they weren't appearing um, because they're lovely verses, but again, that's all in Psalm 107. So today, when you go back home, take 10 minutes out of your time, not even, and just go and read Psalms 107. And it'll show you each of these examples and how God's goodness is extended to each of these people in each of the different situations. And at the end, you'll conclude and you'll say, let the one who is wise heed these things. Which things? All of these things that he wrote above in, in 107. And ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. In other words, David is saying, if you are wise, you will listen to me and you will remember that God is indeed very good and very kind and very loving towards you. Because you never know when you're going to be the prisoner. You never know when you're going to be the afflicted. You never know when you may be lost at sea. You never know when you may be struggling with something, wandering, struggling for food in the middle of the desert. When those times come, David says, if you are wise, you will remember the, and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord, right? Towards the wanderer, towards the prisoner, towards the afflicted, towards the ones in danger. On the bottom, there's a simple question, which one is you? today. Maybe you are neither. Maybe you are one of them. Maybe you are several of them. <clears throat> Whichever one you're in, in these situations, remember and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. And yet again, turn towards God where you will encounter love and kindness and goodness. So let's go and look at some of the stories now. <clears throat> so, all right, let's look at the first one. So the first one is a story about this lady called Rahab. Now, Rahab was a prostitute, not necessarily a very good profession to be involved in. As a matter of fact, something we shouldn't be doing, okay? However, we'll see how her story ended up being put into the Bible for something good that she did, so we can remember her kindness. So, she's a prostitute from the town of Jericho. Jericho is a really cool city, and we have a picture of it, uh, that is considered by some to be the oldest city in the world. Uh, the cool thing about Jericho, however, and that's kind of what it looked like. You can kind of see those rings around it. Those were the walls of the city. At that time, you know, <clears throat> long, long time ago, that's how cities were because people would come and pillage and storm in a city and a band of armed robbers could come inside and steal and kill and take away the, the livestock and everything. So the cities would build these very large walls to protect themselves. So Jericho had two large layers of walls like that all around it, okay? So that's kind of a little bit of what it looked like. The cool thing about Jericho is that it is the first city that the Israelites are conquering as they are inhabiting the promised land. So again, back to the story of kind of what the Israelites have been doing. They've been wandering through the desert. Where are they coming from? Egypt. Egypt, that's right. That's right, absolutely. So they're slaves in Egypt. God calls them out. We talked a little bit about the story last week. They're wandering through the desert, kind of trying to find their way. Eventually, they get to the promised land, and God says, all right, everybody, it's time. Let's do this. And the first city, the first kind of 
challenge of kind of inhabiting the land is they have to go and conquer the city of Jericho. So let's go to the next slide. So <clears throat> Joshua at the time, he is the leader of the Israelites. So Joshua says, all right, everybody, here's how we're going to do this. We're going to send a couple of people to spy out and see kind of what's going on in the city, right? Just like in the movies, in the middle of the night, you know, kind of really cool music, and they're kind of going inside and figuring out what's going on, how thick the walls are, where the people are, where the guards are. And these are like the cool people are going over the spy. Um, so they go over there, and they make a friend, or they find an ally, and the ally is the prostitute Rahab. And the prostitute Rahab is the one that tries to help them as she realizes that the Israelites are going to come and occupy her town. So let's read a little bit about kind of what and how that came about. So this is Joshua chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. It says, now then, this is Rahab speaking, the prostitute. She says to them, these are the guys that came over to the city to spy. Please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to me and my family because I have shown kindness to you. And I'll stop here for a second. She showed kindness to them because she actually hid them from the guards and the people that are in Jericho. So as the Israelites came and sneaked in in Jericho, all the guards on alert, they're like, all right, where are the people that came in from Israel? Like, where did they go? Who saw them? How can we find them? We need to take care of them. Rahab takes them, puts them all the way on top of the roof, hides them under some bags, and hides them over there. So because of her goodness and her kindness towards them, they are able to be spared from the guards in the city. Yes? It could have been. Uh, there's a lot of movies. It's very possible. Yes. It's an important story. Yes. Sorry? The promised land Africa? Actually, no, they come from Africa. So modern day Africa, Egypt is in Africa, northern Africa today. So they leave Africa and then they travel through the desert right over where the Red Sea is right now. You've heard the story when God parted the Red Sea, they crossed to the sea, traveled through the deserts, and they end up going towards modern day Israel, where Israel is today. So they actually do live still to this day in the promised land that God gave them. Now, today, there's a lot of political conflict and turmoil in the area. That's not for our topic of discussion today. But actually, Israelites live in that area as well. So what they do is they actually travel all the way up to where Israel is and go on the east side of the Jordan River and kind of hang out there for a little bit. And then they cross the Jordan River, which is a big moment for them to kind of cross into the Promised Land. And then Jericho is right there. So it's going to be one of the first cities that they go and conquer. So that's why the story is really important. It's that first step of... God has given us this land. We're stepping in obedience. We're doing it, right? So at that time, she says to them, please remember to show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Remember, I hid you guys. When the guards were searching for you, I put you up on the roof, okay? It says, give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Okay? So... They're like, okay, we'll do that. Several verses, uh, several chapters later, they have the way that they conquer the city and all that stuff. That's maybe for another story. They capture it. They storm inside the city, and they go to her house. And you can imagine the moment. She's hanging out over there. She's in the house, and you can hear the horses and the hooves. Everybody outside to the city, they're knocking. 
you can hear some people screaming. I mean, it's a war. It's not a, it's not a pleasant thing. It's a conquering of a city. And all of a sudden, as they're kind of sitting in a corner trembling, they're like, I don't know if these guys are going to show us the kindness that they promised or not. All of a sudden, the door, boom, it knocks down. And then the guys come in with their helmets and everything like that. And then they walk through the gates, and they see them in a corner hiding over there, and they're just sitting there. And they go to them, grab them, and take them outside and save them. Okay, so <clears throat> Joshua 6, 22 to 23. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land. So the same two guys. Why is it important that it's the same two guys? Because they're the ones that remember. They're the ones that made the commitment. They're the ones that agreed to show kindness, right? He says to the same guys, okay, you and you, you're the two ones. Go over there and take care of this business. This is really important. Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young man who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brother and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought, her. they brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Okay? So Rahab showed them kindness, and then they returned the kindness as well. The important thing to understand about the story as we'll move on to the next one is that in, a pre, in another verse, Rahab tells them, I can see that God is leading you and God is giving you our city. So she understands the plan of God and she accepts it. She's not fighting against God's plan as some of the people were. Okay? She's wise enough. God had given her the wisdom to see that and because of that she is helping the people. Not because she's a coward but because God has allowed her to see She's an important person as well for other reasons as well in the Bible. I know we can't get into it too much, but God has allowed her to see why they are moving into the promised land and why God is giving this land to them. And she's not fighting against God's plan. She's trusting it and allowing it to happen over there as well. So, okay, let's go to the next one. <clears throat> All right, so this is the video that we saw. The story of David and Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son. Okay, again, some basics. Who is David? Go ahead. He's the king of who? I'm the king of the nation of Israel. All right, the Israelites. Okay, so he's the king. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> who is uh, Jonathan? Does anybody remember? Saul's son. And who is Saul? When we talked last week, what did David and Saul do to each other? They fought, right? Remember, Saul was the king. And when he found out that David is supposed to be the king that will take his throne, he was really mad. He wasn't loving. He wasn't kind, right? And he was pursuing after David. <clears throat> and when David was kind of running away, he became really good friends with Jonathan. And Jonathan was Saul's son. <laughs> I'm not Kevin. So it's kind of strange. You can see the situation here. It's a little difficult one. Uh, Saul is hunting David, but Saul's son and David are BFFs. They're best friends. Okay? So, <clears throat> in this situation, uh, oh, again, I am missing the verses. Oh, this is, uh, sorry for that. <clears throat> you got it? Okay, awesome. So, listen to Kevin. He's going to read the. Um, 
12 to 15 over there and kind of set us the story for. If my father intends to bring evil on you, may God punish Jonathan and do so severely if I do not tell you and send you away so you may go in peace. May the Lord be with you just as he was with my father. If I continue to live, treat me with the Lord's faithful love. But if I die, don't ever withdraw your faithful love from my household, not even when the Lord cuts off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. Okay, all right, so <clears throat> let's hear this here a little bit. So this is really important because this connects back to the story of Rahab. And I'll tell you kind of how. Just kind of keep in mind here a little bit. Uh, <clears throat> why did Rahab help the spies that came over to Jericho? Why did, why did we say that? I mean, why did she help them? So Rahab, the previous story, why did Rahab help the two spies and she hid them from the guards in the city? What, what was it that she realized? Okay, so I'll repeat it again. Rahab helped the spies in, from Israel that came over to Jericho because she saw that that was God's plan. And she was not fighting against that. She was accepting the will of God in her life and allowing the will of God to happen in the Israelites' life. Now, in this situation here, Jonathan is doing exactly the same thing. Because Jonathan has an allegiance to his dad. It's his father, right? He has to honor, he has to love his father. <clears throat> and he also has a really good friend, David. So he's choosing to protect David. He's choosing to help him in this situation because he is also not fighting against God's plan, right? Jonathan sees that David is going to be the king. He sees that God has allowed him to rise to the throne. So Jonathan is not fighting against it. He's not preventing it from happening. As a matter of fact, he wants to do anything in his power to ensure that David comes into his throne. So the reason why Rahab and Jonathan are shown here as good examples is because they are obedient to allow for God's plan and God's will to happen in their lives and in the lives of the people that he has placed them in over there just like that. <clears throat> All right. So <clears throat> later on, <clears throat> excuse me, David and Jonathan, um, and then after Jonathan had died and Saul had died, David is now the king, and he is in charge. The kingdom is wonderful, and David remembers. And David remembers how good Jonathan was to him, and he remembers how he helped him. And he asks, <clears throat> so um, let's go to the next slide, please. See how much of that we will see. One more. Okay, that's actually perfect. The whole thing is there. Awesome. So actually, you can actually see the verses. So, all right. So here it is. 2 Samuel 9 and 3. So here it is. David is king now. Jonathan has died. Saul has died. He remembers that Jonathan was really kind to him. And he says, the king asked, that's David, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And then Ziba answered the king. Ziba is one of the servants from the house of Saul. Hey, Cooper, you have a question, buddy? Oh, you were just stretching? Okay, you can stretch. Cool. 
Uh, Ziba answered the king, there is somebody, there is still a son of Jonathan, and he is a cripple. He's a lame in both feet. And at that time, you couldn't be a computer programmer. You couldn't be like Stephen Hawking doing computational physics and theoretical physics and live connected to a computer and still kind of live and have a decent life. <clears throat> At that time, if you were crippled, you could not work. You couldn't go to the field and plow it. You couldn't get up and do something because almost all the work that was done was manual labor. So if you were crippled, guess how you survived? By what? By people helping you, that's right. So Mephibosheth is a cripple. When you're a cripple and it's kind of like a beggar, it's a pretty low part in society, you know? It's, it's, you just sort of depend on people to help you, et cetera, et cetera. So he's a very, very, you know, he used to be pretty high because he was the son of Jonathan, but now that David is a king, He's kind of fallen down little by little over here. So let's go on to the next one. All right. <clears throat> so now we're in Samuel 9, 6, and uh, all the way through 8. So Ziba tells him, yes, there is a son of Jonathan. He's a cripple. He's lame on his both feet. David says, let's go and get him. Let's go and get him. Doesn't matter if he's lame. Doesn't matter if he's crippled. I don't care at all. Get that boy as soon as possible. So. Verse 6 says, when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. Okay? So what does that tell you about him? Respect. Okay? He is a cripple. He is a, a beggar, a low part of society. Okay? He is summoned in the presence of the king. That's like from the lowest, you're going to the highest. And he bows down and pays him honor. But David says, Mephibosheth, his response is, at your service. Right? He's at the king. He says, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. For the sake of your dad, because your dad was my best friend. And when I was in the biggest difficulty time in my life, your dad helped me. Your dad helped me to escape, did all these good things, and no matter what, he always showed me love and respect. So he says, because of your father, Jonathan, so I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Here's something to keep in mind as we kind of move on from this story to another one. The story is from the lowest to the highest. From somebody who is crippled, can't really do anything, to the presence of the king. It's not very different from kind of how we are with God, right? In this situation over here, the intercessor for their relationship is Jonathan, right? With us and God, the intercessor for us and God is who? Jesus. That's right. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> we are the crippled ones. We are the low ones. We are the ones that are broken because of sin, etc. We don't deserve to be at the king's table. We don't deserve to be in the presence of the king. But God's answer is, I will show you, I will restore you 
and I will show you the land. I will kind of bring you up to normal because of my son Jesus for you, right? So keep that in mind. That's a, it's a very kind of important notice to kind of realize over here. So again, goodness from one person is responded and replied back with goodness from another. And the important notion here is that idea of humility. That's why it's mentioned because we'll read later on why Jesus says humility is so important when we're talking about a relationship of kindness and goodness among people. So let's go to the next slide. All right, so we stopped with humility on the bottom. So now we're gonna, we're gonna talk about human kindness over here. And uh, we'll mention the story of the dinner guest that Jesus tells us. So again, keep in mind the humility that Mephibosheth showed. And now we'll talk about uh, humility in another context over here in a little bit. So now we're in Luke 14, 7 to 14, 11. So now we have fantastic, the whole text is over here, which is awesome. So, so let's read it. Jesus gives them a parable, gives them a story of um, how people used to be when they were invited to parties. So Jesus is invited to a party of a Pharisee, and he sits down, and he notices where people are sitting. So the closer you're sitting to the important person, the more important you are, right? So if you're going to the presidential house, which we call what kind of house? It's a collar. A lighthouse, right? And you go to one of those dining areas where they have big meetings and they sit down and talk about important stuff around the world. If you're sitting kind of at the corner at the edge, you're probably not that important. But if they sit you right next to the president, then that means what? You are kind of a big deal. Because if the president has something that he wants to ask you, he doesn't want to yell on the other side of the table. He's like, hey, Jimmy, why do you think we should go to war with these people or not, right? You know, he just wants to be able to kind of turn to you and say, so what do you think about this idea, you know? So there's that closeness. So Jesus observes people as they're coming into this party, and he notices that they all want to go and sit next to the high places. You know, they all want to sit right next to the people that are high, to the high priest or the owner of the house. And he uses that opportunity to teach them a story of humility. So, here is what he says. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When somebody invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. Where is the place of honor on a wedding feast? Aha, uh -huh. you are sitting right next to the bride and the groom, okay? If you're sitting right next to them, you are important, right? You know them, okay? So usually who sits right next to the bride and the groom? The parents, right? Mom and dad, or if you're a brother or a sister or something like that. So really, really close people. Um, and um, so do not choose the, or do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. Saying, if so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. And then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, no, Mark, you're more important. Come with me. You come and sit over here, right? Um, so it's a completely reversal of kind of what he's observing. So he's using that. So he will say to you, friend, Move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the praise of all the guests because he will point you out as we're all sitting. 
he will say, Peter, why do you sit at the end? You're my best friend. Come over here and sit next to me in front of everybody. And then Peter will rise, and everybody will look at Peter as Peter is going over and sitting right next to the owner or the high person, right? So he will lift you up, okay? But that's because, that's because Peter chose to act humbly in this situation. He didn't try to lift himself up. The Bible says that when we humble ourselves, God will lift us up, okay? So keep that attitude in mind. He says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Okay, let's go to the next one. <clears throat> really quickly, I'm going to be speaking pretty fast. We're wrapping it up. We're going to have no time. Uh, we'll tell a story now of Paul and Onesimus and Philemon. Philemon is a book in the Bible that has only one chapter, is in the New Testament. And Philemon is really just a letter that Paul wrote to Philemon to say to him, Philemon, you're awesome. You're my brother. I love you. You had some issues with a former slave of yours, but that slave has come to me. He has become a believer. He is a phenomenal person. I love him. He was so important, so good to me. He helped me so much. Please take him. Forgive him. Forget all the stuff and trouble that happened in the past and be restored with him because in Christian relationships, in, among Christian brothers and sisters, having restored relationships, relationships that are of forgiveness and mercy are very, very important, right? So here's the story. Paul writes a letter to Philemon and says, please take back Onesimus. Show him kindness, show him goodness because that's the right thing to do. And he writes... I always thank God as I remember you in my prayers. So Philemon is a cool guy. So if, if, if Paul is saying, you know, I, I thank God for you in my life, that means that Philemon is doing some good things. Because he says, I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Okay? So, is Philemon a good guy? All of those things, right? So he is a kind person. He does a lot of these things. And now Paul is asking him to take Onesimus back and restore that relationship as well with him. So let's go to the next one. All right, so another similar story, and I'm rushing through this, I'm sorry, but um, you can kind of read them afterwards if you just write kind of where it is. This is also very briefly mentioned, but uh, this is another name that's kind of difficult. It's called Onesiphorus. So this is the relationship of Paul and Onesiphorus. And I always liked how Onesiphorus sounded. It's a cool name. Um, um, and it's very, very briefly mentioned. It's written in the, it's, it's briefly mentioned in the, uh, epistle to Timothy and this is written very very late in Paul's life so this is when Paul is an old guy so grandfather age pretty late and uh, most likely he was in prison when this is happening so from prison he's writing letters to some of the people that are closest to his life so Timothy is pretty much like his son 
almost, like an adopted son. I mean, obviously, Timothy had parents, but Paul loved him so much. They did so much together. They had so many adventures together that he is his son in the faith, and he loves him. So as he's near the end of his life and he's in prison, he writes some letters to Timothy to kind of remind him of some of the important aspects of the faith. Um, and he mentions Onesiphorus in this occasion as well. Let's see how he writes about him. He says, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Figulus. So you don't want to be Figulus in this story. You want to be Onesiphorus. So it says, including Figulus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, however, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. So again, keep in mind here, Paul is in prison. Paul is in chains. He's an old man. He is kind of, if you're in jail, you're an old guy, you don't have a lot of reverence from society. He's usually seen and looked down upon. So if you want to be cool, you don't want to be hanging out with Paul. Like, if I'm cool and Paul comes and says, hey, buddy, how are you? I'm like, I don't know you. So at that time in Paul's life, he's experiencing that. He wants to hang out. He wants people. He wants comfort. He wants encouragement because he's in jail. He's tired. He's weak. And he spent a lot of time maybe investing in some of those people. And he's like, hey, Jimmy, how's it going, man? I remember you from three years ago. Like, we had that Bible study at your house. And Jimmy's like, I don't know you, dude. Who are you? And goes away. How would that make you feel? It would break your heart. It would squish you, right? Because they're not liking him now because he's in jail, because he's an old man, because he's not esteemed by society or the norms of society at the time. And instead, they're kind of shying away from him, except for Onesiphorus. And Onesiphorus, it's not that when Paul called out to him, he's like, hey, Onesiphorus, remember me? Onesiphorus is the one that searches for Paul. He's the one that remembers like, oh man, I remember Paul from like a couple of years ago. The guy was coming over here and discipling and teaching and loving on us. What in the world happened to him, you know? And he goes and searches for him. And in Rome, he goes over and hunts. He's like, hey, I heard Paul is over here. Like, where is he? And they're like, I don't know who Paul is. And he's like, goes another door. Like, hey, does anybody know where Paul is? I'm like, no, I'm not sure. And then he goes and talks to him. He's like, do you know who Paul is? You mean the guy that preaches on the streets? He's like, yeah. Oh, I heard he's in jail. Like, I don't know, you know? So he goes and hunts him out, finds him, that he's in prison. And he's like, Paul, what's up, man? I've missed you so much. So nice to see you. Can I do something for you? Can I bring you something? Do you need any parchments, anything for writing? I know you're writing a lot of letters. Can I bring you some food, etc." So in those most difficult times in his life, when people are deserting him, this guy on the Sipras comes over, and he says, he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. He says, on the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. Searching around, right? May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus too. So, they obviously knew each other from Ephesus, on the other side of the Aegean Sea, right? Over in modern-day Turkey. And then he goes over to Rome later on in his life and searches for Paul as well over there. So... Uh, another wonderful example. So let's go on. Um, so now we're just going to read some verses and encouragement from uh, Jesus and then Paul and Peter, and uh, we will wrap it up. So a few minutes. So how can we be good and kind then? So Jesus taught us a very basic, simple rule. We're going to repeat it. 
It's also known as the golden rule. Uh, you may hear it at school, you may hear it on the internet, etc. When somebody says the golden rule for treating other people, this is what they mean. And it's mentioned in some of the other gospels, but we'll read it from Luke. So, Luke 6, 30 and 31. This is the Lord Jesus speaking. He says, give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. And now here's the important one on the bottom. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So sometimes we tend to be in a, in a mood. We go somewhere and we're with friends and everybody's having fun and talking with each other and we're just kind of sitting in the corners like nobody loves me, nobody likes me. I'm just sitting in the corner, I'm being sad. I wish somebody came and talked to me. I wish somebody came and hugged me. I wish somebody came and was nice to me. Well, what does Jesus say about that? Do to the others as you would have them do to you. So if you're in that corner, and you're like, I wonder why nobody is saying anything to me. Why I wonder why nobody is nice to me and kind to me. Well. If you want that to be done to you, why don't you go and do it to somebody? Why don't you go and find that other kid that's in the corner that is just like that as well, doesn't have anything to do, just kind of sits over there, and go to them and say, hey buddy, how's it going? You know, what's happening? You know, what's your name? What's going on, okay? So it's incredible how many situations in life that applies to. Um, so keep that in mind as we're kind of talking about goodness and interaction with each other. How much something like that goes a long way. So let's go to the next one. Jesus taught us to be good without expecting payment back. Let's read these verses. These are kind of sobering. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Because even the sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But, the big but, but, love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to be ungrateful and wicked. Okay, so who is our example to follow to be kind to the ungrateful and wicked? Jesus and God. Again, here it is, right? He says, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, so you also be kind to them. He says, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So, as God is in his character, in his traits. That is what we are called to follow, okay? From Jesus over here. Says, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Okay, let's go to the next one. All right, Jesus taught us to balance of actions. So we'll see what that means. Do not judge and you will not be judged. 
do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Okay, so this, we're going to connect it to the golden rule that we mentioned in the first. What is the golden rule? Who remembers it? Be kind to others, yes, but what did Jesus say? Do unto others as, as you want them to do to you, right? So do to others as you want them to do to you. So let's connect that back to here. For with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Um, do you like when people give you gifts and when they're generous to you? Yeah. Yeah, right? Awesome. So are you generous yourself? Right? I mean, it's, it's a good question. Okay, so... So if you like generosity and gifts and stuff like that, well, you be the one that leads the way. You be the one that gives over and abundantly. And then God says, and this is not karma. We're not preaching like karma or, or, or anything like that over here. But this is Jesus speaking. He says, if you give, it will be given back to you. Okay? So, you know, so there's truth in there. You want good to happen to you, well, do good to others. You want people to help you when you're in struggle? Well, are you helping people when they're in struggle? You want to be forgiven from God. You want to be forgiven for your sins. Okay. Well, have you forgiven the ones that have wronged you? Okay. So that is why it's important here we talk about the balance of actions. Just like that. Okay. So go to the next one. All right. Priority. Jesus taught us some things about priority, okay? Forgetting to be introspective leads us to a lack of kindness. Let's see why that is really, really, really important. Jesus taught us, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Do you know what sawdust is? Who has seen a saw? Who has cut wood with a saw before? A few of us, okay? Yeah. So a saw is a little bitty thing, right? It's annoying, right? You know, it gets in your eye, you want to kick it out. But it's a small thing nonetheless. And before you know it, it goes out. So Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Does Jesus know about sawdust? How would he know about sawdust? Uh-huh. Okay. So Jesus knows a lot about sawdust. He used to work on things like this, you know, like carpentry and, and wood and cutting it, etc. So... He understands it. But he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Here's why this is important with kindness. When you are picking and choosing, oh, her hair is not straight today, or look at her shoes, or oh, he's always mean and negative to each other. What does that do with my relationship with the people that I'm always picking things in? Am I going to be kind to them, or am I going to be more like, ew, I don't want to hang out with you? It's the second one, right? Exactly. So if I'm always kind of, oh, I don't want to hang out with him, you know, he does that. Or oh, I, don't want, I don't like her because she just always plays with her toys and never gives it to anybody else. I don't really like Ronaldson because he always looks down when I'm talking to him, etc. So before I know it, I'm not kind to anybody because I have seen that little dust in every single's eye. Well, guess what I'm forgetting? I'm forgetting that 
my negativity and lack of love is the big log in my eye that I am not even paying attention to. So let's finish it up over here. It says, you see the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. The fact that you're not showing love. That is the big thing, you know? The fact that she wore a different kind of socks today is really not that big of a deal. The fact that you are not loving another human being as God has called you to love, that is a very big thing. And Jesus says, you're not even noticing the plank in your own eye. And a plank is something really big. It's not a little piece of wood. It's a big piece of wood, okay? So how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. You first take the plank out of your own eye. You realize that you don't have love towards people around you. You realize that you need to repent for things in your life. You need to realize that you need to be much kinder. And then you'll be amazed how much you don't even notice that people have specks. Or maybe even you will see that they didn't really even have a speck. That they were actually just made unique and different from you by God. Um, and there was nothing to fix at all. So again, priority. So when we forget to be introspective, when we forget to actually let God teach us into our hearts kind of how we are, then it affects us in our relationship with others. Because we start to think, oh, we are so amazing, but everybody else is terrible. I don't want to hang out with them. But instead it should be like, no, God, teach me what I am like. And then once God reveals to you who you are, then you can focus on having good relationships with others. Okay, next one. All right, sorry. Uh, all right. Heart of the source, again, wrapping up everything with love. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick fig trees from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings up evil things out of evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Okay, so how do we change the heart? Simple question. Who changes the heart? Who is the only one that can plant a seed of the kingdom of God in his heart? Absolutely. So all of these things, if that heart inside is not changed, if that heart inside is not transformed, then eventually the real fruit is going to come out, that other thing. But if the heart inside is changed, then little by little the good fruit is going to come up more and more and more. Okay, so that's the next one. Wrapping up. All right. So Peter taught what Jesus taught him. All right, surprise, surprise. So the apostles that walked with Jesus, when they were out and about teaching people, encouraging them, preaching to them, were they teaching something different? No, they just taught people what Jesus taught them, okay? So let's see why Peter teaches the same thing Jesus is teaching. This is Peter 3, 8 and 3, 9. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Here it is, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, you pay evil with blessing because to this you to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Okay? Next one. Peter says, always aspire to a life of goodness. We're just last couple of things over here. We're almost done. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness 
and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So, dears, this is very, very important. Keep this in mind. Always, but do this with gentleness and respect. Is there a time for you to get in a fight, in an argument, if you're in school, you tell them you go to church and you're learning about God and somebody comes, some boy comes over and he's like, eh, whatever, man, smoke pot, I can have sex, I can do whatever I want. And then that kind of ruffles your feather and you start arguing and fighting with them, okay? Does Peter say, just get in it, man, just go and fight it out, argue it out? Or is he saying, no, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks for the reason of the hope that is inside of you. But do this with gentleness and respect. Respect for them because they are another human just like you. Respect them and love them. If they're struggling in their life and they have a sin, that happens, right? But you should still show them gentleness and respect. Okay? For it is better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Next one. All right. Paul taught us to expect to get tired of all of this, but not to give up. In other words, you may get tired of being kind to people. You may be like, you know what? I am sick and tired of being kind to everybody, and I'm just exhausted. I can't do this anymore. Here's what Paul says. Let us not become weary in doing good. He's saying that because there is a tendency to do get weary, because it is hard sometimes, especially when it's really, really difficult and you're encountering a season when everybody's just mean towards you, and you're just being kind, but everybody's stepping over you and stuff like that, and it can be draining. But Paul says, do not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, not at any time, at the proper time. So proper time relates to what? On the bottom. Patience. So when we're going through those seasons that are difficult to be kind and good, be patient. And we talked about patient, patience last time, right? He says, for at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers, right? Okay, next one. <clears throat> all right, so I think this is, the, this is the closing one, and after there's another verse, and then we're done. Now, similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Next one. Paul taught us to honor and revere authority. This is the, I like, there's another one after I'm sorry, I'm losing how many slides I have. But, this is super important just to keep in mind as we're going through periods in our time right now in our country with we're talking poorly about police officers, we're talking poorly about government, politicians, all that stuff. Yes. Uh, so here's what Paul said about that. Remind the people, so remind them because they forget. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. To slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle towards Everyone. So again, very applicable in the past, also very applicable today. Okay, next one. All right, this is the big one. That is the conclusion. Paul's conclusion. This is really, really beautiful. And read it. So, and one more after that. Yeah, that's it. So here it is. At one time, and this is a big summary. That's why it's a conclusion. 
And one time, we too were foolish. So if you're kind of looking down on somebody, remember, remember, Christian, that at one time, we too were foolish. Paul remembers that at one time, he's the one that actually pointed the finger at Stephen for him to be stoned. At one time, he remembers that he was the one that was fighting Christians and hunting them down. So he says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We were all messed up at one point, okay? We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another, that perpetration of evil and unkindness, right? He's saying, somebody does bad to me, I return back with bad again to them. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done. Because if you look up there, none of those things are righteous. The foolishness, the disobedience, the deceitfulness, the enslavement, passions and pleasure, malice and envy, none of those things are worthy for God to show us goodness. But he says, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. And the last slide. And we're done after. So here it is. Do everything you can to help Zenos the Lord and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. And our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. So, look at this for a little bit. The second part especially. Our people, who is our people? Is it anybody? This is Paul. Who is our people? Christians. So the believers. Paul is writing, okay? He says to Titus, tell our people, the people that go to church with us, the people that we eat lunch with at church, that they must learn. So is this something that everybody's born with? No. This is something that they need to learn, okay? He says our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. In other words, you start practicing it. Okay, if you start playing a guitar, like right now, are you gonna be any good? No, okay? So if you start being good right now, or playing, instead of a guitar, a gudar, or whatever you wanna call it, you're not gonna be good at it, okay? You're not gonna be good at being good. But keep on practicing. Like he says, devote themselves to doing what is good. So in order, we can provide for the urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. There is a comparison on the bottom. On one hand, you have you're doing what is good. Or on the other hand, you have if you're not doing what is good, then Paul says that you will live unproductive lives. You will live lives that don't really have root in them, and you're living lives that don't really help anybody. Okay? So, awesome. Thank you again, again for uh, making it a little bit longer, but hopefully uh, God kind of spoke to some things in our hearts and stuff like that and kind of encouraged us from his word. So. All right, uh, let's pray, and then uh, we can, if we have enough time, we can do the lessons, or we can just go to eat. Okay, then we'll pray. Okay, so let's pray. Um, Father, thank you so much for 
for showing us kindness, for showing us goodness. Thank you so much for your word and for your mercy and grace into our lives, Father, because you're the one that teaches us. You're the one that shepherds us. You're the one that loves us. Father, remind us again anew of how beautiful and extravagant your love is for us, Lord, and uh, for every single person here. May they be reminded, Lord, about how much you love them and uh, your kindness and your goodness towards them and help us to replicate that in our lives and our relationships with one another. Father, thank you so much for your example um, that is um, our goal for everything else in terms of who we are. So um, we love you, Lord, and we pray for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm.